0: Welcome to the D Shift podcast, where we provide inspiration, motivation, and education to help you transition from the challenges of divorce to discover the freedom and ability to live life on your own terms. Are you ready? Let's get this shift started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the D Shift podcast. And today, I am really happy to be able to introduce a very esteemed guest who has a lot of expertise in the family law area. I would like to introduce you to uh, Judith Kaluzny, and she is a former family law attorney and mediator, and she is currently an author of the book, The Marriage License Handbook. Judith, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here talking oh, and talking
0: I'm really I'm thrilled to have you as a as another as a mediator myself as a non-attorney mediator as they like to say, um, you know I think that mediation is a very valuable tool that's underused a lot in the in the oh, family court yes, system. Yes, yes. So, tell us a little bit about your background, Judith, and what brought you to where you are today.
1: Well, I was going through a divorce after 17 years of marriage with seven children, and the judge. Uh, the the husband's lawyer brought up, well, first of all, I was talking with, uh, with uh, a lawyer who was part of our uh, school um, uh, carpool. <laughs> and I said, Anita, what am I going to do? And, you know, I don't have a college degree. And she says, you can go to law school. And I said, but I don't have a degree. She says, you can go to Western State. Everybody's second chance law school. So I did. Because I found out that I had had two years of college, and uh, to get, my sole other interest was journalism. And the counselors at the school said, no jobs, no money in journalism. And I would have had to go two years to get a bachelor's degree, and law, if I went full time, three years, and I have a doctor's degree. It seemed like the better bargain.
0: Yeah, I, I'd say so too. <laughs>
1: So that's what I did. And, and, uh, and I passed the bar the first time. And that's I an think accomplishment. <laughs> my advantage is both in school and passing the bar was that I had nothing to lose. Nobody expected me to succeed. You know, I mean, you know, I. so it's just, I wasn't on the, my ego was not on the line. Yeah. So, so and, I, they, and then and you... Then, Well, most of my fellow students were interning with uh, with the public defender or the DA or lawyers' offices, but I had all these kids. I didn't have time to do that. So after I passed the bar, it was published in the law paper, and a local lawyer that my daughter had consulted one time called me up and offered me the use of her office four days a week for half the rent. And at that time, this was nineteen seventy seven. Um, half the rent was seventy-five dollars a month. <laughs> now that's a good deal. <laughs> and, 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 and uh and she was working the other four days at her father's office in Los Angeles. So women started calling me. Women were looking for women lawyers in those days. And then uh and then I was also had been involved, I was uh, on the board of directors of the shelter for battered women. So I had an awful lot of domestic violence cases.
0: Yeah, it, it's funny. We were talking a little bit before the uh, before the podcast, and we were both mediators. I had I didn't know about your domestic violence work. I worked for six years as a domestic violence client advocate with the shelter. So there you go. See how
1: much we have. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. You so, know, back in those days, in the early, in the late seventies. Domestic violence was not a serious concern of the courts. Yeah. I mean, it was almost embarrassing to be with a woman the way the judge treated her. And routinely, if a woman asked for restraining orders, the judge would order restraining orders on both parties. And I remember watching a, a one case waiting my turn, and the husband leaned back of the lawyers and said to his wife something like, nanny, 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 when they were both
0: yeah, it's, it's, so, things have come a fair distance, but they've still got a long way to go when it comes to, uh, especially financial uh, and emotional abuse.
1: Yes, yes. But in California, it's very clear in the law that financial and emotional abuse are domestic violence. Right. So.
0: It's still hard to prove it, isn't it, though? I mean, there's, there's the, you know, there's always that subjectivity in some ways to that, isn't there?
1: Well, I, I, haven't been in court for some time in domestic violence because I, uh, after about 20 years of um, litigation, a friend of mine who ac- actually incidentally, Millie Low Mildred D. Pagelow wrote the book, Woman Battering." I think that was one of the very early publications that was part of her PhD in sociology. Well, you know, what do you do with a sociology degree except be a professor? Right, right. (laughs) He took mediation training. And then she asked me to be her attorney consultant for her mediation. And pretty soon I started sitting in on the whole sessions. It was so interesting. And I remember, you know, learning how to change my head instead of telling people what to do to do a mediator's job. And then I started taking mediation training and then I quit litigation. So I haven't been the
0: court in over 20 years. So uh, so that's interesting because I know one of your areas of special specialty is to help couples and the purpose of the book that you just wrote I believe is to also help couples avoid some of the some of the hazards of, of uh, family and divorce court.
1: Now here's the book is just the size of, of our uh, of our driver's license handbook. So I call it rules of the road for getting married. (laughs) And and I included a test in it. You know, if you're going to get a license, you have to pass a test to get a license. (laughs) Well, in reality, marriage license is the only one I can think of that doesn't require a test. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And sometimes not even a great deal of thought. Uh, it's just go in, sign a form, wait two days and get married. <laughs> Some places you don't even have to wait, do you? California,
1: you could get your license and have the clerk marry you right there on the spot.
0: Yeah, so. it just, it, I, I know the, um, I got such a kick out of, when I came down here and married, because I'm from Canada, when I moved down here and married a, a guy in Texas, um I remember the, the, one of the questions we had to check was, your, your partner is not your kin. That was one of the things we
1: had to check. I
0: mean, that was literally on the thing, and I thought, that's such a strange thing to ask, but I guess it's important to know. So. Cool.
1: You know, one thing that I emphasize in my handbook is the fact that um, if you don't write a premarital agreement, the state has a default agreement for you because marriage is a contract. right? And the state defines the contract, although you can change it. And then what a lot of people don't realize is that after you're married, you can still write contracts to change the state law. So I had a client one time that... uh, and for 11 years, she had her own business and it was a thriving business. When she started it, she consulted with a lawyer. She said, I want this business to be my separate property. And he said, Oh, no, it has to be a community property. Wrong, wrong. They could have signed an agreement to make it her separate property.
0: Right. So, and, and so you're talking about the difference between what they call a prenup and a postnup. Isn't that correct? A postnuptial agreement? Yeah. yeah. And those aren't as common are they? Uh, even prenups. I know there's such a there's such a sense of well you're only asking me to sign this cuz you don't trust me and that's not what it's about at all, is it?
1: No, cuz I outline a lot of in, in the book I outline a lot of things you could think about to put in your agreement. Like managing money, budgets and and and, and premarital debts. All those sorts of things. Right. I mean I think that we ought to put in there who cleans the toilets, <laughs> but nobody wants to put that in writing.
0: Now, is there anything and since we got on this topic of prenups and postnups? Is there anything that can't go in those agreements?
1: Uh, yes. It's uh, you can't agree to um, certain issues in regard to the children. That's what I if thought.
0: You, yeah,
1: you do if you do, it, and and spousal support. If you do agree to no spousal support, it's it will not be enforceable if the spouse did not have a lawyer. Okay. And second if circumstances are such that it would be unconscionable to deny support at the end of the marriage, let's say that the spouse has cancer or some other impairment that prevents her from or him from working. Right. The court will not enforce it if it's totally unconscionable. Yeah. And the, that people should know if you uh, want to maintain separate property for your earnings, if you put in your prenup a waiver of pension rights, it will not be effective because only a spouse can waive pension rights. And with a prenup, you're not spouses yet. So you would have to waive the pension after you're married.
0: Gotcha. Okay. that's That's something I had never heard before. So that's That's interesting.
1: Yeah, Yeah. And then the other thing that people ought to know is that um, Social Security, if somebody stays home to raise children or attend to the household, uh, after 10 years of marriage, you're entitled to collect based on your spouse's Social Security. It doesn't take anything away from her or him, but you're entitled after 10 years of marriage. However, if you then go out and earn your own money, You don't get both. You could take one or the other. Right. Like our local police chief retired. He has a pension from Los Angeles. He has a pension from Orange County. Uh, He can get two pensions, but not me. (laughs) The Social Security people were very nice when I applied at 65. The, the, uh, the, The Social Security woman said, Well, listen, if you're going to keep working, why don't you take your married pension now and then you can switch later when it'll be worth a lot more. So that's what I did. So you can take one first and then switch to the other.
0: And this is why I stress to people, the financial aspects around divorce, it's not what you know that's the problem. It's what you don't know that is going to come back and haunt you in the future. And that's why it's so important to have financial advisors, attorneys, at least review any agreements you come up with before you sign on the dotted line for prenups, postnups, mediated settlements, I don't care, whatever.
1: And if you do a prenup that you don't like later, you can write a rule after you're married. Right. Right. So as as you each sign it and date it. You don't have to have it notarized. Okay. So I did uh I did a couple of postnup agreements as a mediator. One was uh um uh, uh, family father was upset about his wife's spending habits. He didn't want to get a divorce, and so the two of them came in and we worked out an agreement that separated their finances, and um, so he would feel comfortable and she would be on her own as far as money was concerned. And then I told them, "You need to to uh, record this with the county recorder because." since since community is not responsible for her debts if you record it with the county recorder that is official notice to all creditors that the community property is not responsible for her debts
0: okay Okay so see there's all these things that you really you really have to know what you're doing because they could have walked out with they didn't have your support they would have just walked out of there and assumed well we signed this agreement that we're safe we've protected ourselves when in fact they hadn't at that point so yeah, I
1: thought- well, I just—I don't know if what might have happened, but just to be sure, I'd say record it. <laughs> right, right. Well, and and
0: I always say double, double, double dotting your eyes and double crossing your T's when you're doing any kind of family stuff because, we, especially when it comes to estates, wills, uh, divorce agreements because going back and undoing the problem is going to cost you twice as much as just getting it looked at in the first place. So thanks for this advice, Judith. This is really good. Um, Are there any other things that you see are common mistakes? that Let's say people getting ready to go through family court or divorce court. What are some of the
1: common mistakes? Going to lawyers. (laughs) Let me tell you, I had a a man lived in apartments across the street after separation. He saw my sign out. He came over, and he wanted to do mediation. And um, his wife already had a lawyer. And it was a nice lawyer that the first thing she had done was get the two of them to work out a parenting plan. They had a lot of assets, a couple of real estate properties, and a lot of financial accounts. So they got the kids' issues out of the way. So it didn't mess up with the, you know they didn't use that as a bargaining chip nice yeah. so i said well i can't contact her because she's already has a lawyer but i did write up for him a um interim marital agreement as to how to finish up and and um value and divide their properties and part of that was hiring a, a certified divorce financial advisor right and, and I even put in there how to choose that person. <laughs> and it included a good, a goodly support package, interim support. And um, so so he gave it to his wife. She reacted badly. And I think she might have been getting advice from her friends at the PTA. She fired her nice lawyer, hired the number one shark of Orange County, And four years, $429,000 in attorney's fees later, the two of them, after being in court five times and still not done, after spending a couple days in lawyer's offices and still not done, the two of them went to a coffee shop and spent all night and worked out their little agreement.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I see that, unfortunately, I see that with a lot of my clients. I get a lot of referrals from attorneys. People are already two and three years in the divorce process and several, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in. And it's the emotional stuff that gets in the way. It's not typically the the stuff. It's Uh, the emotions.
1: But the courts aggravate that. Sure. The courts aggravate that. For example... One thing is, um, in, in California, we turned to no fault in 1973. And the commission says, we just want this to be a adversarial process. Well, as one client pointed out to me, there's a summons that goes with a petition for a divorce. And, and the, the summons says, to the respondent, and you type in the name. And then underneath that is a black box that says, you have been sued. Yeah. This is non-adversarial? <laughs> and then they use and then they use the words custody and visitation those are hostile words there are um, 17 states have abolished those ugly words
0: yes and just gone to parenting you know, time and yeah
1: yeah and plan you know, parental responsibility california rejected that in 1989 the state assembly passed it the state senate rejected it and i don't know if lawyers just make more money on controversy. I mean, one, one woman, one client said to me, she went to a lawyer for a divorce and says, we just want to be friends. And the lawyer said to her, we, you won't be friends when we're finished.
0: I, I've heard that before as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, um, and, then, and then a young woman I met that was married for only maybe two years and they had a prenuptial agreement. The case went on for two years, the divorce. And then later on, four years later, they met each other at an event and started talking. And it turns out their lawyers were saying to each other things that neither of them had ever said.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They were
1: stirring up the aggravation. Let me tell you about a a, a nice mediation case I had. I had a couple that had one house, uh, two pensions, three kids, and spousal support for a stay-at-home dad. They came to my office in February. Before the end of April, everything was signed, sealed and signed by the judge and returned from the court. Four months. Right. And I told my client, the the wife that typically you're at least two years in court. If you go through lawyers and she says, how do people stand the stress? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is there's really good lawyers out there. You know, I, I, particularly the collaborative law professionals, but even those that aren't collaborative. I've seen so many lawyers say to their clients, look, we can, you know, we can go to mediation, we can settle this. So I think it's becoming more of a process. But unfortunately, there's also those people that like to keep the pot stirred. Um, And that's one of the things I think that's so important is people need to understand you hire an attorney, They don't run your divorce. They are working for you. And you can say to them, I don't want there to be conflict. I just want to give him the house. Or I just want to, you know, we're going to write our own parenting plan. You don't have to do what they tell you.
1: And then there's other hazards with lawyers, too. One woman that consulted me to help, uh, she was doing her own appeal of the case. Um, The first time in court, they separated in August. Husband, they had been married only uh, less than three years. They were both in their fifties, no kids. Uh, they had each owned a house when they got married. They com- they sold them and combined it into one house. Um, so that's all that was at issue was the house. So they filed in August. They were in court in October, and her lawyer and husband's lawyer and husband, went in the conference room, left her sitting in the hallway. And they worked out a stipulation that said that she should refinance the house and pay husband his equalization. Well, here's the other thing is that she didn't have the cash money to hire a lawyer. She went to the number one shark in Orange County. And he and they agreed to take a lien on the house for attorney's fees. So here's this agreement that he coerced her to sign. You know, it's four o'clock, court's closing, the judge will be mad. You know, just sign, sign, sign. And, and so she did sign, and she was coerced into refinancing. The lawyer took $19,000 for fees right off the top. Wow. And then he quit her case. And she had to hire another lawyer. You know, that's... I mean that should be unconscionable, but yeah, lawyers are not your advocates not necessarily. They're in business, yeah, to make and, money.
0: And like, uh, there are some really, like I said, there are some really good lawyers, like caring, compassionate. Um, uh, you know, uh, and then every now and then you get these stories, and and well, maybe more than every now and then
1: you do hear these stories. <laughs> Two lawyers, to, you know, yours yeah. and his. And if one is the bad guy, you're stuck. Yeah. You're absolutely. There's, yeah. There's, there's no lifeguard. At, at the
0: That's And you know, I hear I hear a lot of women say, "Well, I can't believe the court didn't protect me." And I said, "The court The court isn't there to protect you from your own attorney. The court is there or the process, the court is there to make a final render a final decision if you can't in any other way come up with an agreement."
1: Well, and I In in California, you have less than a 1% chance of a judge deciding your divorce. There was one of the year statistics that I read that was like 365,000 divorces that were finished. Only 1,300 were finished with an actual court trial. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. With the rest of it, I call it trial by carborundum. They wear you down. Yeah. Yeah. One young man that was working for me, uh, uh, he and his wife were getting along well enough until her parents hired a lawyer for her. So he went to court unrepresented, and he was, they had five continuances just to get a parenting plan. Five continuances. Can you imagine what that does to people time after time? Yeah. And, you know, you have to get the kids babysat you have to take off work and then you go to court and then your lawyer charges you for court and nothing gets done yeah and, and you're yeah
0: you're just and, kicking it down the road yeah
1: so he came back all depressed to the office i said "Juan, don't worry there's still the trial yeah. and he says what? you mean there's more yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> Judith, we have this has been a fascinating conversation, and we could go. I'm sure we could go for another couple hours. But um, what do you? What do you think is the most relevant, important um, point, or issue, or concept that you want people to remember from this conversation?
1: Oh uh, well, something that I learned from my one of my clients: being right does not get you what you want. You have to be effective. So think strategically, think effectively. I mean, I, just be, being right doesn't help.
0: I I I love that. Being right doesn't always get you what you want. Tell us again about your book, Judith. What's the What's the title of it?
1: Uh, the Marriage
0: License Handbook. Okay, and is that available on Amazon? Can people pick it up on Amazon? Amazon and Brownson and Noble. Perfect. So I'm yeah. going to encourage, if you all can, get out there, get that book. And Judith, if people want to um, learn a little more about you, find you, what's the best way to reach
1: you? Well, I my old mediation website, um, JudithKaluzny.com, has a tremendous number of articles I wrote during that time. And it's got a cautionary note that I'm no longer a lawyer. But there's a lot of information on there about mediation and divorce. Thank so, you. Uh, Thank
0: you. And so that's a, that, that sounds like a great resource. I'll make sure all that information gets in the show notes so people can check it out. Go check out Judith Kaluznic Kaluzni Sorry. um uh, dot .com. And um I'll have that in, I'll have that in the show notes for you. And Judith, thank you so much. This has been so insightful and it's been really helpful for people to understand how they can how they can take control of their divorce.
1: Thank you. I, I enjoyed this. I learned a lot. One last word from a Supreme Court justice, my life in the law has not been logic. It has been experience.
0: There you go. That's a great way to put that too, isn't it? And I want to thank everybody for listening in to the D-SHIFT podcast. And please remember to tune in again next week. Thanks for listening and supporting the D-SHIFT podcast. If you would like to attend live trainings by our amazing guests and have a chance to ask questions and get answers from our experts, join the D-SHIFT crew. For more details and to sign up, head on over to www.divorcecoachforwomen and click on the podcast page.